Hello, everyone. My name's Nathan Kelleher. I'm going to be reading Luke, uh, verses two, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 in French. En ce temps-là, l'empereur Auguste donna l'ordre de recenser tous les habitants de l'Empire romain. Ce recensement, le premier, eut lieu alors que Quirinius était gouverneur de la province de Syrie. Tout le monde allait se faire enregistrer, chacun dans sa ville d'origine. Joseph, lui, aussi parti de Nazareth, un bourg de Galilée, pour se rendre en Judée, à Bethléem, où est né le roi David. En effet, il était lui-même un descendant de David. Il alla s'y faire enregistrer avec Marie, sa fiancée, qui était enceinte. Pendant qu'ils étaient à Bethléem, le jour de la naissance arriva. Elle mit au monde un fils, son premier-né. Elle enveloppa de l'ange et le coucha dans une crèche parce qu'il n'y avait pas de place pour eux dans l'abri destiné aux voyageurs. La parole de Dieu. Well, welcome again to our Christmas Eve service. If we haven't met yet, my name's Katie Pesson, and I am so blessed to serve here as the lead pastor at Harbor. It is good to be together on Christmas. Um, I, for one, cannot wait for Christmas morning. Is anybody else in this room excited for Christmas morning? Yes. What are you excited for on Christmas morning? Just shout it out. Presents, yes. Breakfast, something about waking up, food. I'm hearing a lot of presents, food, family, all those good things. I remember when I was a kid, I remember being so excited for Christmas morning that it was hard to sleep the night before. Um, I thought I would show you some pictures of Katie as a child on Christmas. So this is my brothers and I. I'm a middle child, have two brothers. Uh, We would always go to church on Christmas Eve and like get dressed up and then come home. This is probably, I would guess, after a Christmas Eve service. We're all dressed up. Look at my little brother. He's so cute. Um, So we would go to church. We'd come home and then we would try and stay up late to catch someone special putting gifts under our tree. And on Christmas Eve, my brothers would always sleep in my room. My little brother, Brian, would sleep on the roof of a dollhouse that I had in my closet. And my older brother, Christian, would sleep between my bed and the wall. That way, my parents, if they looked in, would never know that my brothers were sleeping in my room. (laughs) Um, It never dawned on me that we were so excited that, like, probably they heard us all in there. (laughs) So we would try to go to sleep, but really we were just eagerly awaiting for the first light of day when we could go and get presents. Presents, presents, presents. We were so excited for the arrival of Christmas Day. So today is the fourth Sunday of the church season that we call Advent. So the word Advent just means arrival. So during the season of Advent, we look forward to an arrival. We remember how a long time ago the people of Israel were waiting eagerly hoping, expecting a savior. And on Christmas, all of that hoping and wishing and dreaming and praying came true. Jesus was born. And the birth of Jesus changed absolutely everything. Jesus was God, the very God who made the stars, all the distant galaxies, the God who created the sun and the moon, the God who shaped the earth put mountains and rivers and oceans and glaciers in their place. This God who was there at the very beginning making animals and plants and birds and fish. 
the God who created humans and gave women the ability to have babies, the God who is outside time and space and who can be everywhere and know everything and do anything. This God allowed himself to be made small. The unlimited, all-powerful creator became a human being with limits. The God who never sleeps took on a human body with all its need for food and clothes and rest. Why would God do that? Why? Why would he come this way? Why would he give up the limitless glory of his home in heaven to come to this earth, to become dependent on his mother to feed him? Why would God come in a body that would one day be killed on a Roman cross? Why? God did all of this for one simple reason. Love. Love. John 3.16, that well-known Bible verse, tells us why God's son Jesus would put on flesh and come and dwell among us as a human. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. God loves you and me and every other person on the face of this earth. He loves us, and God wants us to know him and know how loved we are and experience the beauty of how good life can be when it operates according to his love. See, long ago, the Bible tells us that people decided to go our own way, to break their relationship with God, to do things the way we thought it should be done instead of the way God designed it. And the rest of the Bible and our life experiences testify to the devastating consequences of that choice. Our relationship with God was altered. Instead of living in community with God where we could see him and hear his voice and literally take a walk with him in the Garden of Eden, we had to leave his presence. Our relationships with each other got harder. Power struggles and jealousy and conflict became the norm. Just as Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden, we started to hide from God and from each other. And the history of humanity tells a long story of things coming unglued. But God was not content to leave us in this mess. He created humans for relationship with him and with each other. He created the world to be good and wanted it to be good again. So God, in his love, put a plan into action to restore everything that had been destroyed. And so just over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came to earth and was born, just like every one of us, in a quiet, out-of-the-way town to quiet, unimportant people not in a palace, not even in a home. God came into the world as a poor peasant with nowhere to lay his head except a manger. Jesus was born to bring peace. He was born to reconcile us to God. He was born to bring justice and hope. He was born because he loves us. My name is Ben. This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Thanks, Ben. In love, Jesus came. In love for broken humanity. Jesus didn't come into the heart of the Roman Empire. He didn't come with a parade or pomp and circumstance. His birth was not announced by trumpets or a national celebration. The birth of the King of Kings was instead announced to shepherds. Shepherds. In the first part of Luke that Nathan read for us earlier, we heard a list of important names. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. Quirinius, the governor of Syria. And even David, that great king of the Jews. Important political people who ruled from important big palaces. And yet, instead of announcing the good news of Jesus' birth to important people whose names we know, angels chose to announce Jesus' birth to anonymous shepherds. Shepherds we've never heard of until now and who disappear from the story within a few verses. What an interesting decision to proclaim good news, to proclaim peace on earth to the bottom of the cultural hierarchy. This is Luke's way of letting us know that Jesus changes everything everything. Jesus came to save the world, and to save the world would require dismantling everything that is harming it, dismantling hierarchical systems that place some people over others and count some people important and other people disposable. Saving the world required Jesus to dismantle religious systems that emphasized following the rules so you can feel better than other people system that prioritized legalism but overlooked cultivating the very kingdom of God where all people are welcomed in, all people are made whole in relationship with the king. Jesus saving the world meant to dismantle systems of identity that pit one group of people against another, systems like classism and sexism and racism, systems in which people are judged not by who they are as children of God but by what they look like or where they come from. Systems that refuse to acknowledge the image of God in every single human being on the planet. Jesus' mission to save the world would require dismantling the very spiritual forces of sin and evil. Sin has touched every part of our world. It disrupts trust and humility in relationships. It disrupts government and education and economics and, yes, even the church. Sin has damaged everything on earth. And we see the effects of that, don't we? Everywhere we go. So Jesus came to battle sin in every arena. He overturned religious traditions in favor of bringing justice and healing. He broke through cultural boundaries to spend time with women, with sinners, 
with foreigners who were considered unclean outsiders by the religious people. Jesus was unmoved by the kingdoms of the world and their agendas. And on the cross, Jesus did battle with evil itself. The perfect Lamb of God carrying all the sin of humanity and putting it to death once and for all. Jesus came on a mission that from the beginning was not what was expected of the Messiah. Born in a stable, announced to shepherds, 30 years in obscurity, rejected by his own people, killed on a Roman cross. And this upside-down, unexpected mission was the only thing that could bring what the angels announced at his birth. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Only what seemed backwards to humanity could undo the damage of sin, could undo the devastation humanity has done to each other. Only the Holy One born a poor defenseless baby could demonstrate the astounding picture of what God's kingdom is meant to be like. A kingdom where the last become first, the least become greatest, where we become important by acting as servants, where our success in life is measured in our humility and our obedience. A kingdom where there is no such thing as enemies, where weapons that destroy life are transformed into tools for cultivating life. A kingdom where true justice is done. A kingdom where no one hoards what they have, but everyone shares, so everyone has enough. A kingdom where death becomes a distant memory. A kingdom where there is no more sadness, no more grief, no more cancer, no more depression, no more divorce, no more abandonment, no more homelessness, no more loneliness, no more fear, no more doubt. And at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus came to the least, to nameless shepherds, to announce that his kingdom is not like anything this world has ever seen. And that is good news that brings great joy. Hi, my name is Priscilla Callagher, and I'm going to read Luke 2, 15 to 20 in Portuguese. Quando os anjos os deixaram e foram para os céus, os pastores disseram uns aos outros, vamos agora a Belém e vejamos isso que aconteceu e que o Senhor nos deu a conhecer. Então correram para lá e encontraram Maria, José e o bebê, que estava deitado na manjedoura. Depois de o verem... Contaram a todos o que lhes fora dito a respeito daquele menino, e todos os que ouviram e o que os pastores diziam ficaram admirados. Maria, porém, guardava todas as palavras, meditando sobre ela no coração. Os pastores voltaram glorificando e louvando a Deus por tudo o que tinham visto e ouvido, como lhes fora dito. É a palavra do Senhor. Okay, I know what you all want. You want another picture of me as a child at Christmas, don't you? <laughs> Let's check out this other picture of me. So, now, I told you I love Christmas. And if the number of Christmas trees in my home is any indication, I love it just as much now as I did when I was a child. Um, at some point, my present opening habits changed, and I became the person who very carefully opens the gift to keep the paper intact. Does anybody else do it like that? 
Okay, you're my people now. Now, who opens their gift just by like ripping it off to like get at the present inside it? Okay, yes, lots of us. So as you can see, when I was like three, I think is how old I was, um, that was what I did. I just ripped that paper off because I want to see what I got. I've been waiting for what seemed like years for Christmas morning to show up, and it was finally here. I finally saw the mountain of presents with my name on them. And I just want to see what I got. When you are eagerly waiting for something, that's how you might react. With intensity, with joy, you don't slow down. No. This is how the shepherds reacted. They left their sheep in the field and went immediately to see the Messiah. The people of Israel had been waiting for centuries for the promised Messiah. So the shepherds just left. They just went right away. They didn't slow down. And after they saw Jesus, they went and told everybody else what they saw. They couldn't help themselves. They were so overjoyed. I love that the text gives us Mary's reaction too, though. The text says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. But. That word but. It's a contrasting word. Luke lets us know that one way to respond to the news of what you've been waiting for might be over-the-top joy, telling everyone you know what's happened. But another reaction might just be to sit in awe. I love this painting of Mary and Joseph after the birth of Jesus. It's called The Nativity by Gary Melchers. He's an American painter from the early 1900s. This picture captures what I'm guessing every parent looks like on Christmas morning after the presents have been opened and the kids are playing with their gifts. Mary is leaning back, spent, exhausted after this effort of childbirth. Listen, giving birth to any child is an overwhelming experience. When I saw my children in my arms after months of carrying them in my womb, it was surreal. This little person I had been waiting for was finally here. I was so tired. We think crazy things like after you've had a baby and you're exhausted. So I remember when Silas was born, he had blonde hair. Well, when Esther was born, she had come out with dark hair. So I had this moment where I thought, wait, that's not right. My babies have dark hair. I was so tired. Like, oh, that can't be my baby. My babies have dark hair. So tired. And I hadn't been preparing for the birth of the Messiah. Esther and Silas were just normal human babies, amazing human babies, (laughs) but not the savior of all mankind. (laughs) I love that Mary in this picture is just staring at Jesus, this baby, exhausted from birth, exhausted from hosting a bunch of shepherds for a welcome to the world party right after giving birth. She had watched these grown men worship God over the birth of her son. And Joseph, he almost looks like he's in shock. (laughs) Like, what is happening? This experience was so different than what he had expected for his life. But an angel had appeared and told him this child was from God and that he was here to save the world, (laughs) to save the people from sin. And so he's just sitting there. He looks like he's thinking, now what? (laughs) Like, he might be wondering if he is really up to the task of raising the Messiah. This painting to me is a beautiful illustration of what Mary, pondering these things in her heart, might have looked like. And so Luke's inviting each of us to consider how will we respond to the news of Jesus' birth? And 
Luke is writing to invite us to consider our response to the second coming of Christ. See, this season of Advent in the church historically has not only been about looking back at the first arrival of Jesus. The season of Advent invites us to look ahead to another arrival, another coming, Christ's return. Because where we live right now, is, is, it's in what some people have called the already but not yet of salvation history. We live after Jesus' first coming, after his death for sin, his defeating blow to Satan and all his evil, after Jesus' triumph over death in the resurrection. We have seen the inauguration of God's kingdom in Christ, but the work isn't finished yet. We've seen that Christ can conquer death, but we still taste its sting. We've experienced the the presence of Christ with us in the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we still don't get to physically see God like we were created to, to walk with him and hear his voice audibly. We've seen God's power to heal and forgive and restore, but we're still longing for him to heal everything and to restore the whole earth to what God created it to be. Some of us sometimes still wonder if, if God really can forgive every wrong thing we've done. We're in the middle of what Christ has already done and what has not yet happened. And so in Advent, we are invited to look ahead to Christ's return, to look ahead to his final defeat of evil, injustice, and pain. We are invited, like children waiting for Christmas morning, to wait with excitement at the mystery of how Christ will accomplish his lasting peace, to wonder what the unwrapping of his kingdom will be like, to look everywhere for signs of his incoming kingdom, like children scouring the house at a time for their presence. We're invited, like the shepherds, to praise God for the glimpses we see of his love and mercy and justice and grace and new creation at work. We're invited to tell everyone what we've seen God do We're also invited, like Mary, to sit in wonder at what God's doing. Maybe we are exhausted by everything we've been through this season, and all we can do this Christmas is stare at the child in the manger and wait. This Christmas, we're invited to be like Joseph, believing, but maybe wondering how in the world Jesus will accomplish all of what he has promised he will do. This world is so broken. The grief and despair are so much. Maybe this Christmas all you can do is long for the promises of God to come true. Christmas is a lot. The promise God makes with the gift of Jesus is staggering. The promises we've been given about how things are going to end up are amazing and overwhelming, especially when we consider what things look like now. But this Christmas, we are invited to pause, to look afresh at the baby who was born to save the world, and to ask God to meet us right where we are. And we know he'll do that, because that's what he did when Jesus came to earth as a human. We couldn't get to him, and so he came to us right where we were, a weary world in need of hope. In these next few minutes, we're going to take communion together. 
When we take communion, we eat the little wafer of bread and we drink a little sip of juice. That bread is a symbol. It reminds us of Jesus' body that he took on flesh. He became human to be with us, to make a way for us to be with him again. This is how loved we are. The juice symbolizes Jesus' blood that was shed for us on the cross to bring us forgiveness for every single sin we have ever committed or ever will. There is nothing God can't forgive and redeem. As Brian said earlier, here at Harbor, we practice open communion, which means everyone is welcome to take communion. If you want what Jesus offers, his love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and peace and hope, you are invited to join us in taking communion, receiving the reminders of his great love for us that came down in the form of an infant at Christmas. So I'm going to pray. And then if you want to sit for a minute and just be silent, and consider where your heart is this Christmas, go ahead. And then whenever you're ready, you can come forward and receive communion. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the hope of Christmas. We see the world around us is breaking. It is broken. We have all experienced the pain, the frustration of things in this world that are not as they should be. And at Christmas, we remember that you love us enough to come, to come to earth as a human in a body that could be broken, to set the example of what it looks like to live according to the love of God, and to even join us in death, to be that once-for-all perfect sacrifice to forgive every sin to repair the brokenness between us and God. So God, this Christmas we are waiting. We're in the already but not yet. We've experienced the truth of who you are and we are longing for what you will still bring. So Jesus, will you meet each of us right where we are this Christmas? Those of us who need hope that a better day is coming, give us hope. Remind us of your promises. Those of us who need comfort, in the midst of our grief. God, will you wrap us in your comfort and your love? Those of us who just need peace, will you help us, even in this still quiet moment, to experience the peace that only comes from you? Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for coming. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.